0: Welcome to the McQuaid Arcade Podcast. I'm Barney.
1: And I'm Biggs.
0: Werewolves. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't... 80s movies, uh, there were so many werewolves. I didn't remember or realize until we started doing research for this show just how lousy with werewolves 80s cinema was. Um, We had An American Werewolf in London, Wolfen, Silver Bullet, The Howling, uh, One Through Five, There were five Howling movies. Wow. I think I missed throughout the course of the 80s. Missed most of them. I'm going to go out on a limb. Yeah, I haven't haven't seen them. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that there is a steep drop-off in quality the closer you get to number five. That's just a theory, (laughs) though. Um, The Company of Wolves. Now, that list is just the more notable ones from the 80s. I left out some lesser-known classics like 1989's My Mom's a Werewolf. A classic. I didn't catch a classic. (laughs) Um, The most popular, though werewolf movie of the 80s, however, maybe of all time, 1985's Teen Wolf, starring Michael J. Fox. Now, we really liked this movie growing up. We'd look at each other and growl, give me a keg of beer, and (laughs) we'd joke about uh, Styles and his what-are-you-looking-at-dick-nose shirt, (laughs) and how he had a big uh, crush on Boof. We loved it. Definitely. And now I hadn't seen it in decades and I was very excited to watch it again for this episode. It's always been on my list. Uh, One of the movies on my list of stuff. I can't wait to watch with my kids one day, right up there with like Goonies and Karate Kid. And I don't know how else to say this, but it's bad. It's just a really bad movie. It was so bad. In fact, that Michael J.
1: Fox disliked this movie so much that he absolutely refused to return for the sequel. In an interview at the time, while Back to the Future was in production, he lamented, quote, Steven Spielberg's down the street making great movies and I'm playing a werewolf,
0: unquote. (laughs) That's how bad it was. When you shared with me the Rotten Tomatoes score for this movie, which is 42%, I was under the impression that this was a beloved classic, but apparently not many people even liked it back when it came out. Now, look, we've talked about some things on the show um, that haven't aged particularly well. We just finished recording an episode about Saturday morning cartoons of the 80s. And one of our beloved cartoons from when we were little kids uh, was Thundar the Barbarian. And we rewatched it for this ep- uh, for that episode. And it's bad. It's super bad. It's pretty bad. It doesn't hold up. But watching it, we totally get why we liked it back then, like in the historical context of a Saturday morning cartoon from 1980. Uh, We can totally see why Little Biggs and Barney love this show so much. Why do we like this movie?
1: I don't know. It escapes me completely because watching it again, it's sort of boring. It's the pace is pretty slow. The acting is middling at best and the special effects are essentially non-existent. So I'm
0: not exactly sure what we were vibing on. I have a confession to make. It took me so long to get through this movie. It was such a chore to watch. That my rental on Amazon expired before I could finish the movie. (laughs) I had to watch the last, like, I don't know, quarter or so of the movie. Just piece it together uh, from clips on YouTube. That's how rough it was. Um, It felt like an eternity while you're watching it. But in my head, it's like 10 minutes long because I feel like nothing even happened. What even happened in this movie? My wife watched it just kind of on a whim. Uh, not too long ago. And when she told me how bad it was, I didn't believe her. I chalked it up to either her having terrible taste in movies. After all, if you'll recall, her favorite movie of all time is Howard the Duck. <laughs> so I kept that, <laughs> took that under consideration. Or, or that she is just dead inside and a thief of joy. Possible. But she was right. <laughs> I owe her uh, an apology. She was right. So, as we always do here on the show when we're talking about a movie, let's, um... Run down the story of Teen Wolf. What was the story again? Again, did anything happen in this movie? Well, the 80s heartthrob Michael J.
1: Fox stars as Scotty Pollen, a high school student whose humdrum life is suddenly and violently changed when he discovers that he is a werewolf, or I might say a wolfman. But more on that a little bit later.
0: Then he plays some werewolf basketball and rides on the roof of a van. (laughs) The end. (laughs) It's the end of the movie. That's all I remember.
1: Pretty much. That, that kind of is a good capsule summary, I would say.
0: So uh, Scott, his friends, Styles, the one at least occasionally funny character in this movie, and uh, Boof, they're all high school students. I say <laughs> that in quotes because, and we've talked about this before, the fact that, that teenagers in 80s movies tended to be, to be played by older actors. It was a common thing back then. But this movie has, I think, by far the oldest looking teenagers in cinematic history. I mean Michael J Fox could totally get away with it back then but the rest that party scene everybody there looks like they're they're 35 years old
1: I mean it is a remarkable scene you know they're they're at this alleged high school party and first of all, it's a, it's an unbelievable party. Everybody is sweaty throughout the film, right? This is one of the, the <laughs> real so hallmarks sweaty. of this director, constant sweat. And I don't mean just like a nice, glistening kind of fresh sweat. I'm talking everybody is drenched, sopping wet, dripping down the hair in their face. That's remarkable. And I think it's just kind of rare to see it. It's like they're all in a two hour hot yoga class or something. But uh, when we're at the party, it feels damp and, close and really it's this bizarre set of things happening even though they're supposed to be high school students they're all kind of laid back and having a ball and of course styles is almost like this ever-loving hilarious mc character who's socially greasing the wheels and doing fun party games and then it kind of clips to that point where they're chained together tied up and covered in whipped cream riding around on the the floor floor and
0: whipped cream um, we're
1: eyes wide shut kind of thing? We're,
0: what are we talking about here? <laughs> I don't here. know where it was going. Apparently, uh, the director went to Nebraska, which is, I guess, where this movie's supposed to take place, um, to interview teens about partying, and the interviews inspired the party scene. I don't know what the hell they told this guy. Maybe
1: we should move to Nebraska, because we never attended anything even remotely like this in high school. I mean, if anything, this felt more like a late college, maybe almost like a grad school level party, but then again, we were... Busy playing Dungeons and Dragons and being nerds, so who knows? Maybe stuff went on that we didn't we didn't
0: uh, have any awareness about. and we didn't go to high school with any uh, middle aged people like there were at this party. <laughs> um, so they're uh, they're Midwestern high school students, and Scott Michael J. Fox is always complaining about how average he is and how the girl at school that he likes doesn't know he's alive. While Boof is clearly in love with him, uh, he's a mediocre basketball player on a terrible team, the Beavers. Um, the coach, do you know what? I take it back. Styles isn't the only funny part of this movie. The coach is hilarious.
1: Yes, he is probably the funniest character in the movie. I actually had some laugh out loud moments with him, and I kind of wish in a different era they would have made him the main character and everything else would have been a sideshow <laughs> because he's so hilarious. A couple of his great quotes. I just I have to please indulge me on this. Uh, he says, there are three rules that I live by. Never get less than 12 hours sleep. Never play cards with a guy who has the first, same first name as a city, and never get involved with a woman with a tattoo of a dagger on her body. Now you stick to that, and everything else is cream cheese.
0: <laughs> Did you, when when, I'm not familiar with that expression, <laughs> everything else is cream
1: cheese. So it's hilarious. Perfect. And then when, when uh, Scotty comes in to talk to him about something, clearly it's something weighty. He looks up, he says, what is it, gambling? Drugs? You know, I'd really like to help you, but I'm kind of tapped out this month. The IRS is coming down on me like it's some personal vendetta
0: against Bobby Finstock. I mean, it's just brilliant, just absolutely brilliant. At one point, he's watching a game, sitting on the bleachers, uh, and he just walks into the gym, peeling a hard-boiled egg and throwing the shells on the floor. <laughs> and he's sitting there and like tells the assistant coach next to him to go get him some salt for his egg. That he's <laughs> in a basketball game. He's hilarious.
1: I mean, that is a well-drawn character that really has something to bring to the table, unlike most of the other people in this film who were mm-hmm. kind of replaceable.
0: So uh, to continue with the story, they go to this party after Scott growls at the guy at the liquor store, scoring them a keg of beer. Uh, again, we thought that scene was so cool. His eyes light up red and watching it now, is just dumb. Again, he's very sweaty. Everyone's so sweaty and wet. So um, much Sweat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then Styles on his way to the party, surfs on the roof of the van for some reason. They stop, like it's his big signature thing he does apparently. And again, as kids, we thought this was the coolest thing ever. Watching this movie today, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, that's just dumb and dangerous. Like, why would you do that?
1: Incredibly dangerous. Can you imagine? All all it has to be is somebody slams on the brakes and the guy flies forward and gets crushed by the truck.
0: I don't know, man. It would have um, been
1: visually more interesting, I suppose, yes, than the actual film we, we got. But
0: uh, a lot more to talk about. Uh, the party sequence we talked about, the whipped cream. Um, so things keep happening to Scott, mostly weird, like body hair issues, and he discovers that he is a werewolf and, in fact, comes from a family of werewolves. Werewolf Scott, or Teen Wolf, as Styles brands him, complete with T-shirts and merchandise, uh, ends up being I'm way gonna more... i
1: pause you right there yeah. for one second just to remind our listeners of Penn Jillette's movie-watching rules.
0: Oh, yes. They certainly apply right? here. So
1: whenever... Penn Gillette is doing a movie night with his friends. Whenever the title of another film is mentioned in the dialogue, as in, I don't want to be home alone tonight. Everybody whispers. Wow. When, whenever a film shows an establishing shot of a city, any city, mind you, the group mutters Chicago. Finally, (laughs) if the title of the movie is itself mentioned within the film, as we're talking about here, the group applauds. And I feel like it should be golf claps.
0: Yes, for sure. And it's uh it's mentioned a lot because right away when uh Marty comes out to Styles as a werewolf in a scene that we definitely have to talk about, um right away Styles starts starts, he's like, So what's it like being a teen wolf? And like this whole Teen Wolf branding thing happens. Um you know, and Teen Wolf is said a lot in the movie.
1: Which is very eighties, by the way. It's kind of meta eighties, the the whole fact that they're actually making a business out of the movie yeah. within the movie is yeah. kind
0: of wild. So Teen Wolf uh, ends up being way more popular than than regular old Scott. The whole school gets caught up in wolf fever, and Scott leads the team to the uh, championship, but ends up playing the the final game as regular Scott because, uh, I don't know. I don't know why. I, like I said, I, I was piecing it together on, on YouTube at this point. Um, because the power was inside of him all along, and he didn't need to be a wolf because he had the power of friendship. I don't remember. Um <laughs> Yeah, this movie, this really, this kind of messed me up because, like I said, there's a difference between something just not holding up as well, you know, aging and just being bad. And this is genuinely bad. We read that this movie took, what, like three weeks?
1: Yeah, I think it shot the entire thing in three weeks. Yeah,
0: 21 days. That's crazy. It almost took me 21 days to watch this movie. (laughs) kind of beating this movie up let's talk about the good stuff what's good about this movie styles he is funny he's a very weird character i don't i don't get is he like is he like a nerd is he really popular is he like he's like emceeing this party in one scene and getting kind of bullied by jocks in another scene Uh, i kind of don't get his place in the high school ecosphere um but he is he is a funny character
1: Agree. I loved his shirts and a couple of my favorites. He has the yellow one that says, life sucks, then you die. Mm -hmm. He has the blue one that's in a lot of the first part of the movie that says, obnoxious, the movie. (laughs) And then finally, the black famous one that says, what are you looking at? Dick knows.
0: Dick knows. (laughs) Maybe the greatest thing to come out of this movie is that shirt. (laughs) Uh, And I love how there's a scene where he comes over to uh, Marty's Marty, he's not Marty. (laughs) (laughs) I just did it. I just called him Marty. We're gonna... So, I mean, we might as well talk about the Marty thing now.
1: So apparently, when this movie was released in Italy, they just went ahead and changed Michael J. Fox's character's name from Scott to Marty, just because I guess everybody knew him from Back to the Future as Marty McFly. And apparently, outside of the United States, actors can't play different characters with different names. It's way too complex, so you have to keep it the same.
0: In Brazil, the title of this movie translates to Boy from the Future. (laughs) (laughs) I... There's no, it's amazing.
1: I guess they just, I mean, really it's, it's actually, that might actually be a better way to look at this film as actually an extension of, or a sequel to back to the future that might make it a little bit more palatable.
0: So styles in his shirts is a scene. He comes over to Scott's house and, uh, he walks in and he's like, Hey, how you doing? And dad, like without looking at him, goes, styles, nice shirt. <laughs> like that was kind of a funny, kind of a funny moment. The coach hilarious. Yeah, that's about it, man. Uh, even as a, as, as a werewolf movie, this does not hold up. Like, the the special effects are are bad. The transformation scene is bad. His makeup is so silly looking. I read a little trivia. Apparently, the producer or director said that when they first screened this movie, when he has his first full transformation into the Teen Wolf, there was so much laughter that, like, the the rest of the scene got missed. Like, you couldn't hear what was going on because he looked just so silly.
1: I mean you know this is really tough because we love werewolf lore we love werewolf movies and maybe that's why we liked it maybe because it was just a werewolf movie in, in in that time when we were seeing so many but we have to remember that in 1981 an american werewolf in london came out with john landis directing an absolute masterpiece and with special effects that I mean, I would argue, changed the world, right? Rick Baker was able to flex muscles that nobody had ever seen to make this incredibly organic, biologic-feeling transformation before your very eyes that was painful and powerful and frightening and exhilarating, so much so that Michael Jackson not too many years later called upon Rick Baker again to duplicate a similar transformation for the thriller video. And then here we are with basically what was happening in the 1940s with Lon Chaney and some goofy stuck on hair and a painted black nose and some goofy fangs. So yeah. I like to think about the range of werewolves, right? I mean, so we can sort of have on one extreme the American werewolf in London, which is essentially a beautiful wolf, often larger and more frightening looking than a natural wolf, but it looks like an animal. And then on the other is sort of the wolf man, if you will, which is basically a guy with some hair and some fangs and maybe some claws. And then there's some stuff in the middle. For example, 1981's The Howling, where the transformation resulted in this enormous, wolf-like but bipedal creature, sort of somewhere between a wolf and a man. And I think in some ways that's the classical concept concept of a werewolf. But all of these things, I think, can count and depending on what you're interested in and what mood you're in, you could look to any of these or anywhere in between.
0: Yeah, just the same year in 85, we had Fright Night, which we covered uh, on an episode about 80s vampire classics. And there's a scene where a character who's a vampire transforms into a wolf and it is that one end of the spectrum. It's just a wolf. And he uh, gets staked, gets hit through the, the heart with a stake. And there's this amazing transformation scene where he transforms back into a person. And it's this these amazing effects. And this was, God, this movie was not, They had, there's a transformation scene where like, um, you know, Scott's face is kind of like a little bubbly and stuff. And then again, look, they had, 21 days to shoot this movie. So I guess like you know what they did in that time was impressive but uh, it this just kind of falls flat on every level including the werewolf stuff which uh, just makes it even a, a bigger disappointment. We thought maybe for you know we're coming up on Halloween our first October on the show we'll do kind of a, a horror themed episode but man we uh, I think we backed the wrong horse so to speak on this one. <laughs> Well, should have gone with the, any of the number of many uh, other werewolf movies from the uh, 80s. But, you know, we'll get to those.
1: We kind of picked a dud. One thing that was interesting about this movie, though, is the central conceit, the concept that there is a teenager who becomes a werewolf, which is such an interesting concept. You mm-hmm. go so many ways with it, right? Yeah. He's got newfound powers. And in fact, right, in fact, they actually touch upon the concept or they allude to the concept of a superhero when – Harold, the dad, tells Scott, "quote With great power comes an even greater responsibility." Unquote, which, of course, is the classic expression associated with Uncle Ben from Spider Man. And I
0: think this really. Tells I have to us- jump in real quick because I I heard that and it just made me so mad. Like, okay, this movie stinks, and you're ripping off Spider Man. <laughs> but uh, it turns out, um, screenwriter Jeff Loeb was also a uh, comic book writer who wrote spider-man comics so they get a little bit of a pass on that one that's legit but i think it tells
1: us that we really wasted a tremendous amount of potential because right he could be like a superhero he could be saving yeah. the day and helping people and part Fighting of what's crime. so depressing is that he uses his superpower werewolf skills to play basketball and to and ride on the uh, surf on the roof of a van once and dance yep. i mean like this is yeah. it this is what you use your powers for Where's the meat? Yeah. Or as we heard in the '80s, where's the beef?
0: We uh oh, we have to do an '80s uh, commercial episode. Write that down. <laughs> Definitely. You know the there was uh, in in '86 they came out with uh, the animated series, the cartoon Teen Wolf cartoon, which I think we I think we liked. It was pretty good, and they did a much more superheroish thing, you know, in the cartoon. Styles and Boof were the only and and uh, Scott's family, obviously, were the only ones who knew he was a werewolf. Which just sounds much more like what this story should have been, as opposed to, you know, at a basketball game, all of a sudden there is a literal monster on the court where a young man used to be, this hairy, fanged monster, um, and nobody seems to care. Like everyone, like stares for a moment, and then. And then the coach is like, all right, we're back in this game, baby. Let's go. There's a monster on our team. And it's like, what? Where are the pitchforks? Where are the torches?
1: Where are the people with silver bullets coming at them? Where are the other covens of vampires and werewolves who are coming to get him? Like, just nothing. And what's even more bizarre is that the dad mm-hmm. was also a werewolf, as we know. And this was known. This was known from his high school days because they make the whole point of this rivalry. So the question then becomes in this world, in this fictional world, was the parameter that werewolves are a thing and they're just sort of commonplace? It's just like a like a a polymorphism or or was it just that everyone was just incredibly tolerant of extremely bizarre stuff going on?
0: The scene where, uh, first of all, Scott is in the bathroom and he has his first full transformation and the dad is pounding on the road. It's a cute moment. The dad's pounding the door. And he's like, let me in right now. And Scott's like, oh, okay, dad, if you insist, and opens the door as a werewolf. And there's his dad as a werewolf, which looks like he looks like a teddy bear or like an Ewok or something. He looks so goofy. Totally hilarious yes. with his big um, belly. But it's kind of like a, oh, like it, it's definitely a surprising moment when you watch it for the first time. And then, you know, the the the, the next day at breakfast, they're, they're talking and he's explaining to Scott, like, you know. He's like, other than, you know, some, a few details, like werewolves are people too. Your mom was a werewolf, you know, and you'll have some great power and whatever. So like werewolves in this world, aren't bloodthirsty monsters, apparently, uh, they're hairy and they can play basketball. But other than that, they're just like everybody else. Very strange. It, it is. Now, one of my favorite books
1: as a littler kid, this actually first came out in 1982 by Bruce Coville. It's called the Monster's Ring. And it takes very much this concept. It's about this kid named Russell who one day is running away from these bullies who are chasing after him. And he kind of gets lost in this bizarre little maze of alleyways and finds this old, I guess, kind of like an old consignment shop or a pawn shop. And inside, he finds this weird ring. And he puts the ring on, and there's instructions that say twist it once, you're horned and haired. Twist it twice, and fangs are bared. Twist it thrice no one has dared. And of course, the story is he has this powerful ring where he can become a monster and he goes on these adventures and it's really, really fun and interesting. And of course, as as alluded to, he eventually does twist it thrice and all sorts of, craziness ensues but that took this concept to a really neat place it, it made him interesting It he had troubles with it there's pressure people were trying to figure out what was going on with him and all of that was completely short-circuited utterly circumvented in this film which was completely bizarre
0: another way this movie falls flat yet another way is the <laughs> soundtrack it's really weird um the the song we hear i think a couple times once during the you know During the basketball game, Marty – Scott, I did – I get why they did it. I get why they did it in Italy. It might as well be Marty. Um, Was nobody – so in Italy or Brazil, when you went to go see this movie and the character's name was Marty or it was called The Boy from the Future, did anybody walk out of the theater and go, what? Wait a minute. That's not Marty or the future. Anyway, so the basketball game – Scott gets like piled on and then like busts out as the wolf. um, And then goes on to like dominate the game. He's doing crazy um, slam dunks and stuff. And there was a, uh, Michael J. Fox had a stunt double who would actually did some of those crazy basketball scenes. I guess he had asked like, Hey, can I do my, can I choreograph my own stuff, do my own basketball stuff? And it was a disaster. So they got this other guy, (laughs) but uh, during this game, this song is playing, and again later in the movie, I think after the game, where he's like, Teen Wolf is walking down the hall, like, "Hey, giving everybody like the finger guns and high fives, and like this song, this terrible song. It sounds like, um, the Toy Story song guy who did that. Yes, Randy Newman. Randy Newman. It's this yeah, awful. So like this. Bow, 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 bow. It's in 1985, you know how much good music is out there that they could have used that would have been cool, and it just was awesome awful.
1: Well, you know, it wouldn't be an 80s movie without montages. And this definitely had it. And you're right. This is the song that they played. And apparently it's Mark Vieja's Way to Go. And I thought it was just bizarre. I totally agree with you. It did sound, sound kind of like a Randy Newman song. It's Americana, country pop. It's too slow. Um, it sort of works. Uh, but I actually found that middle montage is one of the most boring parts of the movie. I was I was fast
0: forwarding. I think They're you just- could barely call it a montage because I feel like they showed an entire basketball game in real time. <laughs> it was the longest montage.
1: The purpose of a montage is to cut <laughs> together the best parts, guys, not just to show the entire thing.
0: <laughs> Even during the party, the music playing during the party was like, okay, if uh, the partygoers are the middle-aged adults that they appear to be, like, yes, maybe this was the music they released. It was like some weird Bob Seeger old-time <laughs> rock and roll knockoff like kids in 1985 would not have been listening to this. It's it, terrible. Again, another way this movie failed us was the soundtrack.
1: And, and don't forget during the final game, right, right? When they're doing the final big game, the song is called win in the end. And that's part of the recurring lyric. That's part of the chorus. They keep
0: saying win in the end. So they're <laughs> telegraphing. You're, you're never really at the edge of your seat. You know, they're, they're like, look, you game. can just turn this off now. Let your Amazon rental expire and just <laughs> turn it off now. No, they're, uh, one way, the sequel to this movie, Teen Wolf 2, 1987's Teen Wolf 2, Teen Wolf T-O-O, not oh, how clever the number two. It's so clever because uh, that movie is about Scott's cousin, Jason Bateman. That's the character's name, Jason Bateman. He's actually, <laughs> I don't remember what his name is.
1: And Jason Bateman as himself.
0: <laughs> um, Who is uh, a college student. The sport in that movie, I believe, is boxing, um, which makes a little more sense. Like, it's a combat thing. Like, you'd expect a werewolf to excel at that a little more.
1: Even more frightening, though, with claws inside the right. gloves and super strength.
0: Uh, Scott's dad shows up to give cousin Jason Bateman the werewolf talk. I want to say that Styles is in it as well. Don't quote me on this, but he's a different guy. He's a different <laughs> actor, I think. I don't think it's the same Styles. I think I like Styles it. ends up at the same school. I might be confusing things, but uh, in the soundtrack department slash montage department, there is a studying montage in Teen Wolf T-O-O that features a great 80s song, Send Me an Angel, and that feels right. The music, like, it's, you know, the montage is dumb, and the movie, like, you think Teen Wolf's 42% on Rotten Tomatoes is bad. (laughs) Teen Wolf T-O-O sits at a solid 7% on Rotten Tomatoes. Bam! After watching Teen Wolf, I was like, you know what? I barely remember the sequel, but it almost has to be better than this. Apparently not. Apparently it's even worse. <laughs> um, but at least they had like a very good 80s, a one good 80s song in that soundtrack. So Michael J. Fox didn't want to come back and do a sequel. I wonder what that means for the development of the sequel. Like, did they have a story planned and they had to change it? Make it Teen Wolf T-O-O instead of the number two because like they had like, okay, we're not going to recast Scott. We have to come up with like a new character. Um, who cares? It's all terrible.
1: We love <laughs> Jason Bateman, though. He's awesome. And he went on to have a real renaissance in his career in, you know, just the recent years, right? He's done amazing stuff. Let's talk about one of the most lovely, charming, and redeeming characters of the entire movie, Boof. Yep. She was Right. She was just lovely and warm and smart. She's like the smartest person in the whole movie and clearly helping Marty, a.k.a. Scotty, (laughs) get through all of these trials and tribulations and really is so good. She's really out of place in the whole film you know, we didn't mention the ridiculous director of like the, the show within the show. the play Oh my within gosh. The play, yes. yes. was just so over the top. and might've well been played by Bronson Pinchot or somebody. I mean, just, just being <laughs> completely ridiculous. You know, Boof is really the grounding force. And I mean, we, we had a crush on her back then. Yes. I still think she's completely lovely and amazing to see how, how, how jarring it is to have someone who's just really grounded and great against all the shenanigans going on.
0: There was this one really cute moment, this warm moment where Boof and, um, Howard? Is that Scott's dad's name? Yes. Howard. They're playing basketball. And like Scott walks in and they're just kind of laughing, playing basketball, like Scott's childhood friend and his dad playing basketball. It's a cute moment. Yeah, she was awesome. There's a reason why we had a big crush on her and really didn't had didn't care at all about the, you know, Scott's main interest, the uh you know, the popular girl in the play and stuff. Yeah, I mean,
1: she that that girl, I mean, while she was very pretty, she seemed incredibly superficial, right? Just shallow and didn't have a whole lot to do. I mean, they really didn't give her much to work with.
0: And we found out, uh, I think, wasn't she just using Scott slash Teen Wolf to make her boyfriend uh, jock guy jealous in the end?
1: Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. At the end. Right. She ultimately said, I have a boyfriend and sort of turned him and rebuffed him.
0: I saw that on YouTube after not finishing the movie.
1: She rebuffed him, but didn't reboof him.
0: Uh, You are correct. She did not do that. (laughs) Did you just do that, though, really? Yeah, I I did that. I went there. Uh, Which brings us to the
1: meaning of it all. So I don't want to look too hard into this bizarre, frankly, sort of off-the-beaten-track 80s movie, despite its fame. We see how, how really strange it was. But what did it mean? What was the moral of this story? Was it sort of a metaphor for adolescence and coming of age and then finding your true self within it?
0: I don't know, honestly. I don't think it tells a very powerful or compelling story. With great power, <laughs> sometimes comes great responsibility. Or sometimes just basketball. I don't know. I don't know what any of this was for. But again, we love, for whatever it's worth, I mean, look, we got a lot of joy out of this movie. Uh, part of the reason why we're both so shook is that we we did love this movie as kids. Um, everyone out there who, like us, has this movie on their list of like, man, I can't wait to share this with my kids one day. I can't wait to watch this again. Cherish those memories. <laughs> hold them tight. Let those memories be your boof. <laughs> this thing you've had with you through your childhood who you didn't quite appreciate enough. Didn't realize that uh, she was the one you loved all along. I don't know. I got nothing. This movie stinks.
1: <laughs> there, uh, There's one last scene we have to talk about before we wrap up. Do we? And that's, yeah, I think it's it's the scene that is just one of those that makes you snap your head up and say, wow, times have changed. Things have really not aged well.
0: Oh my God. Yes. We even said we were going to come back to this. Yes. Thank so you. So
1: there is a, it's frankly, it's a coming out scene.
0: And, and to be honest,
1: it's actually done well. It's some of the best acting, I think, in the entire movie. Scott comes into the room with his buddy Styles, and he's kind of, kind of closed down his arms are crossed, his head is down. You can tell he's anxious about something. And he says, styles, I got something to tell you. It's kind of hard, but, and this could be a tender moment where a good friend could sort yeah. of, you know, meet him halfway or, or support him. But instead they just take it in a completely shocking direction.
0: So they're, uh, they're out in a garage and styles is looking for his brother's weed stash out in the garage. And, um, so he's kind of distracted, you know, while Scott's coming in. And again, Michael J. Fox is great. He does not have a lot to work with in this movie, but the moments he does, he does, he does a great job. Definitely, he's very convincing at uh, when he's walking down a wet hallway. <laughs> I have to mention that scene. It was there's it a was scene so wet,
1: <laughs> it's as if he's running through a stream. There's
0: splashing water. Who washes a floor like this? It was inches deep. There's a scene he's running through the high school. Uh, he's he's he he is like transforming into a werewolf, and he's trying to run and find a bathroom where he could be by himself. And there's a hallway he runs down with a wet floor side and it is, again, flooded. Uh, he's splashing around, <laughs> but yeah, they're out in a garage, and um, yeah, he has something to tell Styles, and um, Styles basically says like, "Look, you're not gonna tell me you're gay, right? Because I couldn't handle that." except he doesn't say gay and it's like a Christmas story. What is it like? Except I didn't say fudge. Um, it's yes, Ralphie <laughs> when he drops yes. the stuff. Ralphie. Um, and it's like, wow, here in 2020. Um, that was like, you know, it, it was, yeah. Yikes. That's, that gets our first official yikes award yes. here on the McQuaid arcade podcast. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of stuff from movies that we're going to cover that, that does not, uh, would not play today. And, um, this was one of those scenes. Again, it could have been, it could have been a very, uh, tender scene between two friends and they played it for the, uh, the gay joke. And it's, uh, it's rough. It's a rough watch. We like to talk about trivia. We cover movies here. Uh, all I've got is according to Jerry Levine, Levine, who played Styles. Uh Styles' full name was Rupert
1: Stilinski. I like that. I think that could work. I think if your name actually were Rupert Stilinski, you'd go by Styles. I think mean, that's cool.
0: Sure. Yeah. That uh that's all we got for trivia. <laughs> this movie. If we think of anything else, we'll put it on our website. Go to com. click on episodes, um, and check out this episode's page for any fun bonus stuff. Or just click on the uh, link in the podcast. Description. So, Teen Wolf was a bizarre
1: coming-of-age movie that had substandard, practically non-existent special effects focused on preposterously boring, badly filmed high school basketball drama with overaged actors who were grievously out of place. It ham-handedly denigrated a potentially touching coming-out moment while squandering any potential for interesting human connection. And yet, it somehow remains a beloved eighties classic though only through the rose-colored glasses of 80s nostalgia. And on that note, stay limber. Mm -hmm.